Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, February 14th, 2016. Let's kick off this Valentine's Day with a murder. <laughs> Shall we? I'll tell ya. I we do a lot of chatting about YNR. We do a lot of kicking around of theories. I've not heard one person predict that Dr. Anderson was gonna wind up dead on the floor with a letter opener in her back. <laughs> I did not see that coming from a mile away. I was in for the long haul of us getting to watch Dr. Anderson get busted out. I did not expect that she would just end up dead. And all I, I tell you, my initial reactions, because this happened Monday. I mean, YNR didn't even bury the lead on this one. They didn't drag it out. It was just, what was it? I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Just boom, she's dead on the floor. And I, my very first reaction was, Thank God Sharon was nowhere near the body because it, it would just be so like YNR to make it that Sharon, crazy Sharon off her meds, stabbed Dr. Anderson after finding out about everything that she's done. Ugh, I'm so glad that they did not head in that direction. My second reaction was... Is she really dead? I think I'm being Nancy Drew over here trying to figure out the mystery. And I'm thinking, okay, is there any way somebody swapped the body? Is she faking dead because she knew she was just about to get called out? Or, you know, what? I don't know if everything is as it seems or if there is more to the story, um, it, it seems that on the surface, what happened was that Patty decided to kill Dr. Anderson after pretty much revealing that she knew the truth about the baby switch. It was, I really did like the way YNR unfolded it because all we know as the audience is that Dr. Anderson is dead and we see Patty in her room, sitting on the floor, cuddling a kitty, singing a lullaby, and she all of a sudden pulls the kitty away from her belly and reveals that she's covered in blood. That was scary. I felt creeped out by that moment and in general creeped out by Patty all week. It was fantastic. But YNR revealed what happened in a series of flashbacks. I don't know if it was supposed, I don't know if it was coming from Patty's perspective or Dr. Anderson's or just showing the audience what happened, but pretty much the second Patty gets back to Fairview, she has this, she's crazy, but she also has this incredible clarity about what she knows happened at Fairview. She knows that Dr. Anderson was responsible for stealing stages baby away from her and drugging Sharon and giving her the baby and making her think that it was hers. Patty doesn't understand the motive in any way, so we get Dr. Anderson first trying to deny what happened and make Patty think that she's crazy and this is all crazy talk, but then Dr. Anderson just gave in and decided to reveal her evil plot in a very 
James Bond villain sort of way, she tells all. She completely reveals her motive. And I've heard a lot of talk throughout the week of fans of the show not being satisfied with how, number one, that Dr. Anderson was killed off, and number two, the way that this storyline seems to be evolving or resolving itself. But I did appreciate, even though it was short, I did appreciate the revelation flashback scene because it did humanize Dr. Anderson in that moment. I will give it that. She did talk to Patty and explain where she was coming from. And it just gave her this moment of humanity. You know, I did this stupid thing as a child. I was able, through Victor's funding, to make a complete recovery. I spent years hating Nick, wanting to enact revenge on him, and I did. And yet, as I started to spend time with him, I looked into his eyes and I started to fall back in love with him. And that just explains it all for me. Everything's right there because throughout the course of the past ooh, um, weeks and months, I've felt a mix of emotions from Dr. Anderson and a confusion as to what exactly was going through her head because it seemed like everything she was doing was revenge-driven and we speculated about it being uh, driven toward Nick or Sage or Sharon or who is Dr. Anderson's real target. And that explained the revenge motive, but also explained the weirdo scenes last week where she kissed Nick and was clearly in love with him and, and even feeling flattered by the idea that he was into her. I don't want to forget to mention the wonderful uh, t twist on the situation I think at the very beginning of Monday's show, where rather than, you know, after Nick has revealed Sage and his plan to Sharon, rather than Sharon predictably running back to her doctor and telling her all, we, you know, Sharon decided to not be underestimated, and she was able, in fact, to put help Nick put together the final piece of the puzzle on who Dr. Anderson really was. <laughs> I mean, I just, I love loved that, first of all, Sharon wasn't a fool, and second of all, that, sh that Nick wasn't a fool. That they sat there together and figured it out with the help of their first edition copy of Living with Paralysis. Voila! It was all revealed. So I did like the fact that Sharon was involved and that she was helpful. Um, and I, I felt resolved in that series of flashbacks about, well, you know, what the situation was really about. The problem is now, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. With Dr. Anderson dead, uh, presuming that she is actually dead, we are entering into possibly even a long period of what's the next step here? When is the next big reveal? When is the next big thing? And it, we may be waiting for a while because Patty is, she's really, um, she had this moment of clarity 
confronted Dr. Anderson. They did sort of a scuffle because Dr. Anderson was going to try to give her, I don't know, a crazy knockout injection, as happens quite often on YNR. Uh, and Patty was not having it, and she knew she needed to fight. She grabbed a ladder, letter opener and presumably stabbed Dr. Anderson in the back, ran off to her room, and it started coming into almost a catatonic state she really wasn't speaking in fact i don't i i kind of i'm not sure if maybe those flashbacks were supposed to be from patty's point of view so i i i i guess i'm leaning toward thinking that what we saw in the flashbacks was completely real. That's what happened. Patty is the one who did it. I don't know if, if there's questions in your minds as to about that, uh, but Patty is not willing or able to talk about what happened. I mean, a sane person might be able to start to formulate some kind of defense, but Patty is not a sane person, and at this point, it seems as if the secret about the baby switch really rests with Patty while she is in this sort of catatonic state singing a a lullaby into the good night. Enter Paul. Now the incident is out there into the world. Everybody knows Dr. Anderson is dead. The police need to come investigate, including Paul. And unfortunately, I think it was Nick and Sage and Sharon between them needed to break the news to um, to Paul that it was Patty, it looks like, who did it. Unless Sage is pulling a really big con here and, and is actually the one who did it, uh, uh, they're telling Paul that his sister, unfortunately, has committed really another murder because Patty is has been violent at various points through her history. This is, you know, as much as it's, uh, we see the victimization of Patty, we've also experienced in the, pa- in the past that she also has a, a villainization and it's very real and um, it does take a violent form. But I still felt very saddened by watching Paul's reaction to learning this truth. I think that my... I do have pity that extends to Patty very much so, but I all I think my, my larger pity is toward Paul. Uh, it was very hard watching her him walk into her room and kind of checking her hands for defense wounds. You know, just try, you know, I mean, wanting to believe that maybe there's some other explanation for this, but having been through the ringer with his sister over all of these years, knowing that there probably isn't, knowing her pattern and realizing that this is it probably is what it is. Great. You know, just another way to rip my heart out. I felt terrible for Paul. Paul is, you know, of course, Michael's wanting to get involved and see if we can formulate a defense for Patty. But Paul is he's just thinking, you know, it, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about this. Uh, the best I can hope for is that my sister can just be comfortable for the rest of her life. It's it's heartbreaking. You know, if you've ever had that feeling of wishing and wanting someone to be well and they just aren't, uh, I think probably you would identify with that. But then we throw in the Dylan factor. Dylan is asking questions. Dylan, if anyone, is going to be the key to finding out or <laughs> to 
to unleashing, unlocking the secret of the baby switch. Dylan knows that Patty was trying very hard to contact him the night of the Newman Tower fire, and he is zeroing in on her to try to get answers. In fact, she's in a hospital room, still kind of in this catatonic state. The second she comes out of it, Dylan begins to ask her questions that are, are a little bit rough. I was surprised that Dylan was being so direct as if he only had one chance to question her. I felt he was being a little aggressive and obviously it tipped her off. She started freaking out. And I mean, I I did feel so sad when she when he he tried at first to gingerly ask her the the questions about Dr. Anderson, you know, and and the circumstances around the night of the fire, but then she and she and she, she lifted up and she said, "Okay, I'll I'll try to help you." I felt so bad cuz I I sense in there that there is someone who wants to be good. Maybe that's just me looking for good in someone. But uh, Dylan begins to push a little harder and say, well, is, is there, did Dr. Anderson do something to you? Is that why you killed her? And Patty just has this vicious reaction. No, I didn't kill her. I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything about the office. I don't remember anything about the fire. I don't remember anything about the murder. She is locked into denial. Either she's telling the truth and there's some other factor that we don't know about, or she is locked in deep to her denial. It did not go well. <laughs> she starts flipping out. Everybody's in, you know, rush, rushing into her room. And it creates a bit of a rift between Paul and Dylan. Another sad scene. I, I, I will say I do really like having these opportunities to dig into who Paul Williams is because there are, there are a lot of times when Paul is kind of a peripheral character. It has been nice really peeling away the layers of his soft spot for his sister. And unfortunately for Paul, this is just, uh, this incident with Patty is just another in a series of emotional tortures for him. This is not new to him. This is part, the story of Patty is in part the story of his life. And so while Dylan is being very aggressive about wanting to get the truth and wanting to know if we can save her, this isn't just something, this isn't just another, this isn't just a crime. This is also our family. And kudos and props to Dylan for that. You know, he could be like, eh, my crazy Aunt Patty, no thanks. But instead, he is pushing forward to find the truth, which ultimately we know will be a truth that will destroy Dylan's life, yet Dylan pushes forward, and it's Paul that's saying, I don't think there's anything else to find here, Dylan. I've spent decades riding on Patty's roller coaster of pain, and there's nowhere else to go with it. Yet Dylan keeps going. He keeps going. I'm, I'm wondering, I think the, the big question on everybody's mind now is the audience knows that the baby switch happened. The audience knows there's a secret to be revealed. The question on everybody's mind is, will we be seeing Dylan or Sharon or someone, anyone, a third party come in and and blow open that secret anytime soon? Or is that secret ultimately 
dying with Dr. Anderson and staying locked away inside, inside of Patty's head. Big bravo to Nicholas Newman this week. I was so glad to see him confront Victor about everything that just went down with Sandra Allen. Nick barges up into Victor's office while Victoria is there being a daddy's girl. And Nick says, you know, Victor, <laughs> you need to take some responsibility here. Let me tell you about what just happened. Let me tell you about the woman who just died. Because ultimately, Dad, you lit the fuse for Sandra Allen's revenge. And, oh yeah, by the way, you are responsible for Patty Williams' walk in the street. That was you. You're the one that brought Patty back into this picture. And it it's like all roads of destruction lead back to Victor Newman. What if that was your dad? How, how would you feel knowing that all roads of destruction lead back to your father? But Victor doesn't see it. Victor does what he does, and it's never going to stop. He refuses to take any responsibility. And, I mean, I'm sure it caught him off guard. But, I mean, naturally, Victor's resp re response is, like, hell, I'm going to take responsibility for this. You're going you're gonna to blame me for two crazy people going at it? It was, it was a good scene. I really like Nick right now. YNR's bringing him up a couple of levels. We've seen a certain kind of Nick for a long time, and I feel like we're seeing something a little different, something a little smarter, a little sharper, a little maybe world-wise from Nick. And I think possibly... The fact that I've been thinking about Noah versus Victor has renewed my interest in Nick versus Victor, the original father versus son feud or issue that uh, came with Victor and his children. Um, it's I I, I think it was I think. Nick said at, he confronted Victor, then went to Sharon's house where Sage and Sharon were bonding, and they all started talking about Victor, and Nick said it best. Every time Victor interferes in the name of the family, there's a horrible price to pay. That is the truth. And unfortunately, I mean, you can trace even what's going to happen with Sharon and the baby switch. You can trace that back to Victor if you really want to. I really loved the Sage and Sharon conversation being contrasted with the Nick and Victor confrontation because we have Sage trying to reconcile what just happened. We have Sharon, whose mind is probably blown and rocked. I mean, Dr. Anderson was inside of Sharon's head, inside of her most private and vulnerable thoughts, and to know that that was all part of an act, and in fact, a plot, has to be incredibly devastating to her. Just wait. And Sage, on the other hand, realizing that the one thing Dr. Anderson was actually right about is the fact that she's not over the loss of her son. And so I think that is an indicator to us that that's the next phase of this story. It is all going to be about this child's paternity. And it's not even, we, we got, I mean, YNR has set up 
a series of of stories to be told within what happened with that baby switch because I think not only are we headed toward finding out the truth that uh, that the child is sages but once we find out that the child is sages I think we're going to find out that the child is Adams so we've got miles to go before we sleep on this plot my friends I really love it I loved seeing Sharon and Sage talking to one another in a very friendly way which again is why in our setting a stage for a for future storytelling we're seeing a lot of understanding and even in fact Sharon brokering uh, a relationship with Sage and Faith we're seeing a lot of understanding between these two women a lot of friendship and it is setting up the heartbreak that is going to befall both of them because I mean Sage has been through the loss of a child and it is going to be a mixed a weird mixed bag of emotions having to take the her child from Sharon and then for Sharon of course having to switch that role I mean Sharon is going from counseling Sage on the loss of her child when that role is going to flip when the secret comes out and Sharon is going to need to be counseled over uh, the loss of the child. I mean, and ultimately, the irony is that Sharon, you know, is the one who, um, who who's, who's losing the child in this scenario because Sully was never really hers. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a scary, twisted plot. And I mean, on, on the surface, yes, it's a horrible thing to enjoy, but I think it's at least an interesting story to tell. Uh, it's, giving us a little bit of meat to dig into with these characters. Uh, how about Sage's creepy dream, by the way? I think it was the very end of either Thursday or Friday's show, and she had this dream that she walked into a room and Patty was sitting there singing a lullaby with her child in her arms. Like, it was pretty scary. I mean, the, the whole thing with Patty is almost reading, like, a weird, I don't know, Rosemary's Baby or sort of just a, a bizarre horror film or something. Patty rocking in her rocking chair with the child in her arms. I don't know if that's just a strange uh, sort of uh, visual cue to the audience or if Sage's premonitions are going to mean anything more. I don't know at this point. Even if... Adam and Chelsea's relationship survives Adam's employment at Newman Enterprises and the fact that he's Victor Newman's son. I don't know that their relationship is going to make it past the bump of finding out that he is the he shares a child with Sage. And not that inherently that has to break up their marriage, but I think Sage and Adam are naturally going to bond over that and Chelsea is going to naturally feel on the outside of it. Last week we had a lot of tension between Adam and Chelsea. She is putting her foot down with Adam on the subject of 
lies and being open with her and honest about what his dirty dealings are. And he did, to his credit, confess to her this week and say, all right, fine, you want to know the the big secret that I'm keeping is that Noah was the one who hit Billy. And of course, she didn't want to hear it. Of course, she went right to Billy. She didn't ultimately tell him the truth. Uh, I mean, what is there to be gained? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It would destroy Noah's life. It would destroy, you know, it would it would do nothing to aid Billy in his recovery. So Chelsea also, to her credit, didn't say anything about it. But it does also, it's one more person <laughs> that knows uh, Noah's secret. But ultimately, what we were discussing last week was the, the future of Adam and Chelsea's relationship. And I was a little surprised that 72% of people who voted in last week's poll said Chelsea and Adam need to stay together. I guess I thought mainly from comments that more people were ready to pull those two apart. It does sort of, it's it's not, I guess, a black and white thing um, because there were a lot of good comments on this topic. Um, Actually, Connor, I really appreciated a comment that he left on the website saying, you know, I don't think there is such a thing as Chelsea and Adam moving on from one another. I mean, it is very similar to all of the other power couples on YNR. There will always be a connection between Adam and Chelsea, whether we like it as viewers or not. Um, and it seems like the majority of you do. Um, but I, I also get the idea from reading comments here on the website that a lot of people feel like, yes, we love Adam and Chelsea, but we're also open to a little bit of a break for a while. I mean, even the greatest of couples have to have their little bumps and little breakups and things. Otherwise, I suppose the show wouldn't be interesting. But I do think that Adam and Chelsea's relationship is on the level of uh, Nikki and Victor or a Nick and Sharon, you know, one of those just, you know, these two people share something incredible. I mean, once they share a child, there's no breaking that bond. So there is not really a an ability for Adam and Chelsea to move on, particularly when they share a child. But that sort of feeds into my idea that we're, we have to be moving in a sage and Adam direction. I mean, if, if they're sharing a child, they're going to share that bond. And it's, I think, going to create kind of at least an interesting triangle. Like I said, last week. I think YNR chatters maybe are a little bit more open to mixing things up. Um, I know I certainly am. So I I feel okay with it. I feel like I I like Adam and Chelsea and their relationship is probably 90% good. They just have these little things, these little impasses that it's difficult for them to get past. But that doesn't mean that they can't find a workaround for it. Um, and maybe do some some interesting switching up of, of, of couples, though, at the same time. So I really did appreciate, though, from Chelsea's perspective, that she now knows Noah's secret about the hit and run. And she, just like Adam in previous weeks, couldn't help but relate it to the situation that went down with Adam and Delia. And I, I loved the scene where Chelsea said, 
sat down with Marissa at the bar over a couple glasses of wine, and she gives her sage advice, which is go. You know, if, if you know, the Adam's big plan is to ask Noah to leave the country so that Noah is no longer a bargaining chip when it comes to Luca and the Centauri's. And Chelsea says, you know what? You need to take that that ticket, that plane ticket out of town. You need to just go start your life. You you and Noah, Marissa and Noah, go start your life. I feel like me and Adam had the chance to get away and we didn't take it. And now we're just here stuck under Victor's thumb. And that's exactly what Marissa and Noah did. First of all, let me just say that when Marissa walked out of the, what was it, out of the bathroom or the background, they're in their little, who knows where they are. There's Noah and Marissa are someplace tropical in a hotel room. Marissa walks out of the bathroom in that fringy, wine-colored bikini. I was like, wow. I mean, YNR's ratings had to have gone up, like skyrocketed for that scene. I mean, I, I just about, I, I was like, I can't even believe this bikini right now. Like, she, she, it was just, I don't know what it was, but it just rocked my world. I get, I'm thinking, I can't imagine just, like, being, like, I could just, like, could just being able to wear something like that. She just pulled it off. I mean, she was like a, a on fire. I mean, Noah's mind had to have just exploded in that moment. I mean, shoot. <laughs> that was a sizzling bikini. And props to that woman for being able to wear it. Um, I think that Noah and Marissa are so super cute together, but here's my problem. I feel like I can't enjoy it because Marissa seemed completely back together with Luca for the past several months, and I bought it, and I believe that it was genuine. I believe that she bonded with Luca over their child, and then she went on to live with him because he's her husband. Remember that? Remember how that's her husband? <laughs> Plus, I mean, the thing is, how can Noah even believe her sweet nothings when she was saying those same sweet nothings to Luca? It just falls flat for me. And I think that the audience gets that, too. I, I think the majority of people that I've heard talking and weighing in about Marissa at this point in time are saying, yeah, we like her, but she's she doesn't know what she wants. And, you know, it, it's hard to trust her. I don't think anybody really trusts Marissa at this point. But <laughs> aside from Mar Marissa's fringy bikini, the thing that blew my mind secondarily this week and that I heard all the talk about was Summer and Luca. Oh, yes, I noticed that scene. I got so many emails like, Allie, what'd you think? What'd you think about Luca and Summer? And you better believe I noticed it. I saw that scene and I and I knew immediately. I was like, oh, why in our chatters? Our little, our little antennas are going up. There are why in our chatters and probably why in our fans all over the globe going, oh, oh. Luca and Summer? Ooh, what do you guys think about that? Uh, in fact, that 
is this week's poll question at yrchat.com. Luca and Summer, are we working on a potential romance here? What do you think? Do you like it? You guys have got to weigh in on that because I'm telling you, I think Luca and Summer have all the makings of a romance. I mean, they have the number one most important thing that will make their relationship work. Victor's disapproval. <laughs> if that man does not approve of a relationship, you better believe those two people are going to hook up and they're going to stay together. So I'm imagining that it's going to happen. I'm imagining that maybe Luca's going to be like, whatever, Marissa, I'm going to hook up with Victor Newman's daughter. <laughs> He's going to tear through her. I mean, Summer is so naive. I mean, it, I, I, I can't, I cannot see. I can, I feel like it's going to be more on the level of maybe Luca seducing her for a, um, for nefarious reasons, but then maybe finding out some good things about her, maybe falling in love with her in the process. I don't think Luca's just going to dog her straight, but I just can't see Summer being on the level with him. I can't see Summer bringing it to up to, to Luca's level. I can't like how is Summer going to compete with Marissa for, you know, for Luca's affection? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not saying I think it would work out, but I definitely think it's going to happen. You let me know if you think it's going to happen. Um, I mean, I love Luca. He seems to be, and I suppose one of the good things about that little conversation between he and Summer is that it almost seems to indicate that maybe he's going to stick around for a while, which makes me very happy. I think Luca's doing a very good job of becoming a an important nemesis for both Victor and for Adam. Victor's back in town. I don't even know why he bothered to take a trip if he's just going to turn around and come back in 24 hours. I wanted to believe that Victor and Nikki were going to be off jet setting for a couple of weeks, but no, he's back already. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not happy about the fact that Adam kind of botched the whole plan to oust Luca from the company. Although maybe if Victor would have given him that, given Adam that little tidbit about Noah, Adam could have prepared for it, but he didn't. So now they have to find a plan B together, which Adam's big plan is to, of course, get Noah to, out of the country. But you know that's not going to last. Uh, I don't know what in the heck they're going to do, but I. I I like this dynamic. I think we need a third guy in there. It's creating a lot of good drama. I do, I do just on a side note, appreciate Nikki and Victor kind of cooing over each other. I like at least that they came back from vacation rebonded. I like that Adam like walked in on them smooching in the office. It's Valentine's Day week. You gotta give me some Nikki and Victor love, right? I just think that was adorable. Um, but it's it's a it's a mixed bag because we're getting at least a little bit of the romance contrasted with Victor basically going for Luca's throat. I mean, in the absence of this deal working out or this plan working out to get Luca out of the company, Victor just goes straight for the jugular. I mean, he literally like grabbed <laughs> Luca by his scarf and started choking him and threatening him. Uh, it was intense. You got to still give it to old Victor. He, he he's I mean, this is a young guy. And he's probably very fit, yet somehow I completely believe that Victor could kick Luca's ass. <laughs> 
you tell me who would win in that fight i mean do you think <laughs> i don't know i just believe somehow that victor would pound luca into the ground but the thing about luca is he's not stupid and i i liked that he said okay victor you know you can kind of strangle me all you want but here's you can you can kill me if you want to but i have compiled the dossier on my father the dossier on you and your family and sent it all to my lawyer so if you do get rid of me it's gonna take you down so I thought that was at least a very good move I think that Luca he's just smart and sexy <laughs> but he does also come off as one of those almost like a Brad Carlton-esque perpetual loser um he finds out that Marissa is off gallivanting in the Caribbean or wherever with Marissa and she ugh, she it looked like Noah and Luca were going to be working together but Marissa I'm sure doesn't want that so Luca calls Noah to follow up on their deal Marissa grabs the phone and she cannot wait to tell Luca off like oh I'm don't I'm I'm with Noah now so just don't even bother I I, I loathe you she's like she's right back to loathing him I don't get it it just it just that just turned on a dime and I was annoyed with with how she grabbed the phone from Noah. She just bosses him around. He's just, there's no, the, Noah needs to learn to push back. And there was a part of me that was kind of hoping that Noah would flip it on her in that moment where, you know, where he would have said, you know, she is happy to, she's a she, free bird. She's happy to run off with him forever, never go back to Genoa City. Well, Noah has family there. Noah has a life there. Maybe stop thinking about your for a second, Marissa. I wish that Noah would have turned it on her and said, you know, fine, uh, now that you've blown off Luca, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave you too. I just, there was a part of me that thought, don't fall for it, Noah, don't do it, but I should have known better. Instead, I mean, he gave into the bikini. <laughs> Rather than flipping the script, Noah had sex with her. <laughs> and that... And, you know, while they're doing it, Luca busts out uh, Noah to Adam and, 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 and you know, tells Adam uh, everything, which and I think Adam uh, understandably doesn't believe Luca, even though he is telling the truth. So I don't know. The, the alliance between Luca and Noah is completely over. And and yet we all know that Luca or that Noah and Marissa will not stay away ultimately Noah has to come back he has to fess up to the cops or to Billy or to whoever and defuse the whole blackmail bomb so I'm guessing that Luca Adam and Victor will just keep warring it out into infinity while Luca seduces Summer on the side How about Natalie's program? How about those computer graphics? <laughs> I, I don't like it when TV shows try to show us cutting edge 
internet or technology and they do a graphic thing like they're trying like YNR is trying to represent the future of internet security and they chose to do it through this like weird graphic of a safe opening up it was a little bit weird and bizarre and the thing the thing that I don't like about it is that somebody's gonna go back and watch that episode of YNR in 20 years and it's gonna look so dorky <laughs> they could have skipped it they could have just implied it I didn't need to see the safe opening thing on the screen I don't know but the plan is for Natalie uh, to go in and present to Victor her finished project it's amazing and yet her real plan is to show Victor that it's not ready. So she does this big presentation saying how great it's going to be and then ultimately it doesn't work uh, which is supposed to, in accordance with her plan with Phyllis, tick Victor off and uh, and and ultimately uh, give him a bunk product. But Natalie is also playing her own game here. It, on the surface, she is working with Phyllis and Billy, but she does a Smart thing by planting a camera in Victor's office while she's in there. So Natalie holds a lot of secrets. She's gonna learn a lot of information, probably even if she hasn't already, uh, about Noah and uh, the fact that he's the one that ran Billy over with the car. Natalie has that connection to Billy. Natalie is not she. She is the gatekeeper uh, in a, in a couple of different ways, and I think I I really like. Her, I, I I loved her little 1990 glasses and what was it? Was it even corduroy uh, uh, overalls this week with a turtleneck up over it? This girl's giving me 1994, <laughs> which I loved. You, I was wearing those overalls in 1994. I like her, and in fact, yeah, I have watched this actress throughout the week, thinking she's good. She is. She's not just kind of a, uh, a some. Someone who they they're bringing on it doesn't really have any substance. There are elements about her that I think are just, she's a really talented actress, and I also think that we got a lot of layers to peel away when it comes to her too. Uh, Victor has this brilliant plan that he wants Natalie to move in with Summer to keep an eye on her. Poor little Summer this week, post her conversation with Luca, thinks she's gonna play with the big boys and get involved in Newman Enterprises and the family business business and Victor Victor sees that opportunity and takes advantage of it immediately and says you know what you guys are about the same age I'm gonna make Summer keep an eye on Natalie and force Summer to let Natalie move in with her so that she can keep an eye on her Side note, I hope that Summer is a better spy than she is a babysitter. Because, oh no, Lord. I, I That scene where Stitch leaves Max with Summer for, for to be babysat while he tries to do a little something romantic with Abby and Max slips away from Summer, goes to the hotel room and ends up walking in on Stitch and Abby having sex. Oh, it was so awkward. 
scarred. That kid is gonna be scarred for life. <laughs> I did that once, I tell ya, and it's it's burned into my brain forever. Nobody, it's like, I, I bet people all over have like the, that secret, like that time when you walked in on your parents having sex. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, damn it. <laughs> There's, and most of you probably had at least one time when you were a kid where it was like, Ugh! you know, and it's just like, it burns you forever. Max is screwed up for life now. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day! <laughs> oh man, that was it was it was it was a little bit sad and scary. Uh, but the thing is, I feel really grossed out by the fact that this was Victor's idea. I mean, I guess I'm of two minds because on one hand, I just feel like. Natalie could be dangerous. We don't know her at all. She's this sketchy Swiss hacker, and you just want to move her right in with your granddaughter? I felt ill listening to Victor pump up Summer about how she's so smart and she's so loyal and she's, oh, she's the perfect person for this job when it's all about him and his motive and what he wants and he's using her. He's using Summer. Uh, plus, then I, but then there's like, you know, the other end of it where it feels very lighthearted and potentially fun. I mean, who doesn't like getting a roommate forced onto you? I mean, that's, it's like an odd couple situation waiting to happen. I mean, it's Summer and Natalie are around the same age. I actually, even just in the few short scenes that we've had, I liked watching Natalie and Summer even more than I liked watching Mariah and Summer. So it's 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 got it could be a fun dynamic. It's a fun set. We haven't seen a lot of Summer's apartment, but I loved that kind of uh, the, the the staircase uh, railing was kind of this plane of glass, and Natalie was able to sort of be in a separate part of the set, sitting on the stairs playing with their computer while we could see it through the glass. I think it's it's an interesting set. It'll give us some new things visually. Um, and, you know, plus Victor's granddaughter and his new daughter yucking it up in the apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that should be interesting, too. I mean, <clears throat> Natalie practically said it herself this week. She's, she's talking to Summer about family, and she says, you know what, I've done my research. Everyone around here is related to someone else. Well, yeah. I think that's, I think that's nail on the head. <laughs> um, I am hearing that Judge Moxley is definitely coming back uh, into town within the next week or two. So, I mean, we're, we're most definitely going to end up seeing a scene where Natalie runs into her and says, Oh, mom, <laughs> no doubt about it. I just feel it. Um, I, I, I don't want to forget to mention that Phyllis is not happy about this little living arrangement. It, it's, it's complicated on any number of levels. Phyllis, is, she is still bringing it. I don't want to forget to really give her some props this week because Gina Tognoni is still really, really killer right now. She walks in and interrupts Victor and Nikki's little love fest to berate Victor about this little arrangement. And I liked that Nikki stood up for Victor and it seemed like she was kind of in on his plan. Uh, the key is to just, you know, involve your spouse a little bit, Adam. Uh, and, and he did, and it was kind of a nice little scene. Um, the thing is, if... <laughs> Nikki's not going to be happy. Uh, nobody's going to be happy, probably. 
if they if it does end up coming out that Natalie is somehow Victor's child, which is my feeling. Uh, and if if it's a big if still, but if that's the case, then I think it's either going to help or hurt Billy and Phyllis's plan tremendously. Because if Natalie finds out that Victor is her father, and again, this is just me speculating, she's either going to want to please Victor a la Victoria or she's gonna want a war with him a la Adam. Phyllis and Billy are playing a very dangerous game here. They got caught this week going up to or coming downstairs from Natalie's hotel room. Jack sees them coming down the stairwell together and asks naturally what they're up to. Phyllis comes up with this really innocent excuse about, oh, I left my cell phone uh, somewhere. So we went up to the security office to find it. But Billy stops her and says, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you lie for me, Phyllis. The truth is, Jack, I'm interested in Natalie's internet security project, but Phyllis stopped me. I just, I don't get it. I don't know why he didn't just go with the more innocent excuse. Instead, Billy tipped his hand and he raised a red flag flag with Jack uh, to, to and and letting Jack in on the this awareness that Billy is interested in Natalie's project. That's just going to have Jack breathing down his neck even more. That was a dumb move on Billy's part. The smart move on Billy's part this week was revealing that they at least do have an escape plan when it comes to Natalie. Let Victor get so frustrated with Natalie and her little project that he fires her and then they just hire her above board. Boom, boom. Hands clean. No one's the wiser. If this weren't a soap opera, (laughs) of course. Oh, boy. I... I am so much less worried about Jack and Phyllis's relationship than I am about Billy and Victoria's right now. Victoria uh, really took to heart Victor's <laughs> accusations uh, that Nick made against Victor this week. And it, it almost, I felt like it was, it had this effect of bonding her and Billy. She comes home after this confrontation between Nick and Victor, and they begin to talk about their relationship and all of the things Victor does in the name of the family. Uh, but I, I really, um, I just got such a kick out of listening to them list all of the sins that Victor has committed against them just in their relationship. Hiring a prostitute to try to lure Billy, uh, having Victoria arrested on their wedding day, up to and including bringing Chelsea into town. That was a nice little nod. I liked uh, to why in our history, and, and I liked that a lot. I liked that acknowledgement of the relationship between Billy and Victoria. And unlike with other recasts, I just, it it just, it's, I'm there. I'm I'm in this relationship with them. I loved the lovemaking scene. I'm feeling it. I mean, it's just, I'm thinking about Billy and Victoria and how much I think they're a good couple. I mean, Victoria is classy even in bed. I mean, she doesn't even get, like, you contrast Billy and Victoria's lovemaking scene with Kane and Lily last week. I mean, Kane and Lily, you get a sense that they're willing to get primal, but Victoria is like, she, she's just like classy, even just, she, she probably keeps her high heels on during. <laughs> I mean, Victoria is someone who 
just cannot seem to let her hair down and Billy's the one who helps out with that and that was visually represented as they're standing in the moonlight and he pulls her hair down and it falls. I just thought it was beautiful. Um, Billy Abbott is for sure probably the best and the worst thing that has ever happened to Victoria's life and I love it. I was thrilled to see that she proposed to him. She mentioned, you know what, let's make this official. Let's get married again. I was shocked that he didn't jump right on board. I, this is Billy putting Revenge Against Victor ahead of his relationship with Victoria. And later, a few scenes later, Phyllis even tried to give him an out. Like, eh, you need, no, 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 no. You need to just marry Victoria. Let's, you need to be done with this plan. Your relationship with her is far more important than anything going on with Natalie. And he doesn't take it. Billy is still looking for vindication. And I'm going to assume that even if the remarriage of Billy and Victoria doesn't happen immediately because he kind of could put the kibosh on it, I think we are going to be building toward a new Billy and Victoria wedding within maybe the next few weeks, few months. I don't know. I'm going to imagine that the big climactic moment here is that Victoria finds out on their wedding day that Billy has been lying to her. Sometimes good people do bad things. It sounds like such an innocent little quote, which, by the way, has come from someone who is not so innocent. It was Kevin who said that during last week's Y&R. Pretty much everybody got that one right. Kim, Connor, Victoria, Austin, and Naomi, Sharita, Consuela, Gary, who also noticed this quote and mentioned it, Tawny, Leanne, Tony, and Tommy, Tanya, and Amanda all got it right. You guys are too good for me, but you're not going to get this one. This week's Who Said It quote, I really feel you're not going to get. <laughs> I don't know. I just Now it's my mission to trick you. <laughs> it was quick, but it was a dramatic moment. It was not a throwaway comment. It was a punch of a moment. Who said it to hell with tomorrow? Hmm, if you think you know who said this quote, you can go to yrchat.com and leave your guess on the blog. If you get it right, I'll give you your shout out. The quote is, to hell with tomorrow. Let's read out some comments. Rocks, 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 Grace on YouTube says, Paul with Patty always breaks my heart. Doug Davidson and Stacy Haddock always give great scenes. Stacy Haddock is amazing. As strange as it may read, she plays Patty crazy in a balanced way. She knows how to unleash it and then pull it back. So I wish they would bring back Dr. Emily. Lord knows a good therapist will be needed in Genoa City after the aftermath of Dr. Anderson. And Stacy Haddock and Peter Bergman also have incredible chemistry. I love this comment, rocks, 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 Grace, because I was thinking the same thing about Stacy this week. There is something 
I think that it's probably extremely difficult about playing crazy in a convincing way. It would be easy to just go over the top about it. Uh, but she really does a good job of, as you say, doing it in a balanced way. And it draws me into the, into the character in a way that maybe is unique for a villain or for a crazy person. I feel like I want to connect with Patty. Uh, and yet it's, 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 it's almost like we're, or I feel like I'm in Paul's position. I want to connect with Patty, but she is also sick and unable to give certain things. It, it just really works. It was convincing. It was heart-wrenching. Uh, it was sad. It, I felt very sad at various points throughout the week. Uh, and it's just a, a big round of applause for Stacy. I thought it was incredible. Um, Ellen C. at YRChat.com says... Patty knows that Sharon wasn't pregnant at Fairview. She can reveal the secret about Sully, but will anyone believe her? If they do, the genetic testing should be a dram- should be dramatic since neither Dylan or Nick will match. Yes. Uh, Ellen C., I think, left this comment very early in the week and, in fact, caught that twist uh, before I would because I was thinking, as, as Patty's revealing to Dr. Anderson, nobody is going to believe this whatsoever. But the second Patty had that moment of clarity about the DNA testing, I thought, ding, ding, ding. Yes. And uh, and as Ellen mentions, I think we are going to have a really, really dramatic twist. If they, if if Patty says what she says, if she's able to get it out and all of a sudden they do decide to do a DNA test and neither uh, Dylan or Nick are the father, that that's probably how it's going to be revealed. I like that. Uh, Daisy on Facebook was speculating a little bit about uh, who killed Dr. Anderson. And I, I did have questions about this as the week goes down. Daisy says, we didn't actually see Patty stab Dr. Anderson. We saw a hand and an arm. I thought that too. I'm always looking for that twist. I, I, I'm definitely leaning toward thinking that what we saw is what we are going to get. But I also like theorizing about these these different ideas because Daisy had mentioned that maybe it could have been Sage. Uh, maybe it could have been the nurse that helped Dr. Anderson with the switch. So there are most certainly other possibilities out there. Uh, I would like to believe that maybe Patty is not as crazy as they are as they are portraying, but I, I don't know. YNR has definitely fooled me a lot lately, so I don't I don't feel convinced of any one way, but uh, I also appreciated that Daisy made a point about Paul's reaction to what Patty did. Daisy says, I think Paul's reaction to quickly blame Patty is over the top. And it's the same reason that Patty had no one to tell about Dr. Anderson. Um, Daisy feels like Paul never believes Patty and, uh, and is dismissive of her. And I think that's an interesting perspective to throw into the mix because mostly we hear a lot of YNR chatters talking about the sympathy for Patty. Uh, so I do like throw, throwing this out there. I also am wondering if Paul having 
uh, not believing Patty I, I, or not uh, acknowledging that there could have been any other scenarios for Dr. Anderson's death, I almost wonder if that could be a wink and a nod or a foreshadow of there being some other explanation. Maybe Paul will be proven wrong. Maybe his disbelief in Patty uh, and, uh, and her potential innocence or there being any other explanation is going to lead into there being a very much bigger explanation for what happened to Dr. Anderson. Um, Connor left me a voicemail and says, with Dr. Anderson being dead, how long are we going to have to see Sharon raise Sage's baby? I like this topic, and I think that's sort of what we were chatting about a little bit that last uh, week, is how how long is this going to last? Um, Gary had phoned into my voicemail last week and mentioned that he thought this was going to be longer than, you know, that it was going to be, the baby revelation was going to be longer than we were predicting. And I'm still thinking we're in for a longer haul here. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to be, but I, I just, I don't think YNR is going to flip the switch on this immediately. I can almost see them dragging this out through the entire summer and possibly into the fall at the very least. But I do think they are working on getting us there. Uh, I, I don't imagine that they would bring up all of these questions and then not give us the big reveal. A lot of times when they choose to bury a story of paternity, for instance, summer, the, it's, it's a question in the audience's mind. We don't really know and they just sort of don't address it and maybe they pick up that story years and years later or Lily and Lily's paternity but this one we know we know that that baby is not Sharon's and I don't think they're gonna make the audience wait too too long but I think they're gonna milk <laughs> quite a bit out of it if they can uh, Gary also left a voicemail uh, reading me pages of soap opera digest or he had uh, mentioned an interview that he read in soap opera digest that I had no idea about uh, but that apparently Doug Davidson and Steve Burton uh, the actors who played Paul and Dylan have this really wonderful off-screen friendship. I didn't know about that at all, Gary, so that was kind of news and a, and a cool uh, tidbit of, of YNR behind the scenes, for me anyway, uh, but Gary was saying, you know, I really feel like it plays well on screen. Both Doug Davidson and Steve Burton seem like really great people, and I feel like their connection with a friendship off-screen gives some resonance to their scenes on screen, the two of them together are just such a pleasure to watch. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye out for that now. Um, Phaedra called in and left a voicemail response regarding what we've been talking about with Jack and Phyllis and Billy and the question of a potential romantic connection uh, there. Phaedra says that she, she doesn't think that we are headed in a romantic direction between Phyllis and Billy. Phaedra says once Jack finds out that Phyllis and Billy have been working behind his back, he's going to feel betrayed as if he was cheating on. So it's not so much um, in, in Phaedra's mind an, an argument that uh, that Billy and Phyllis are going to have an affair, but there's going to be still a level of betrayal that Jack is going to feel that is going to be similar to an affair or a lie or, you know, any kind of, um, you know, cheating with reality or cheating with the truth. Uh, Lisa at YRChat.com says, I have a thought on Natalie's parentage. And, uh, and by the way, uh, Lisa's comment was a little bit toward the beginning of the week. So th that's why this is even better. Um, uh, Lisa says, when Victoria was a child, Victor shipped her off to a boarding school in Switzerland without Nikki's consent. I'm not sure if it's ever been mentioned how long Natalie lived 
in Switzerland, but if she were the child of Victor and Judge Moxley, it would make sense for them to ship her off to Switzerland, too. Given the recent interaction between Natalie and Victoria and the possible return of Judge Moxley, I think this is a very likely possibility. I think so, too. (laughs) Uh, Aaron on YouTube says, you know, Neil kept trying to tell Devon to take Hillary back because she was confused the whole time about her feelings and to forgive her. Well, Neil, if you know Hillary is confused, then why would you use that to take advantage and sleep with her? Yes, Aaron. And furthermore, why, when you got what you wanted, which is Neil and Hillary back together, why would you turn around and berate them? This week, we are seeing the, the the downfall of Neil. He is drinking again. There was a great big blow-up scene between Neil and Jack. Uh, Neil is definitely coming unhinged, uh, and it is questionable as to why he worked so hard to get these two people back together, and, uh, and, 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 forego he he was able to forego his own feelings for Hillary. We know he had feelings for her. And when he finally accomplishes the goal, he pulls out and he starts just being a jerk all over the place. He was really treating Devon and Hillary poorly this week at work no less. Isn't Devon his boss? I mean, they're all working on Dr. Neville's project together and Neil was acting like uh, he was just being really aggressive with both of them chewing gum and we know he's drunk we know he's got something to hide uh but at the same time Devon's your boss (laughs) and he was talking to Hillary like she was a whore for going back to Devon well that's what she just told her to do I'm kind of guessing uh and thinking that um if uh, I, th- I kind of think it's that maybe what we're seeing now is because Devon and Hillary are not back together. I think that they are going to end up working together to try to get Neil back on the straight and narrow path. Uh, we theorized a couple different things last week, but I'm seeing Neil's uh, sobriety issue as potentially being something that will bond Hillary and Devon together. Uh, Katie on Facebook says, question, if Lily and Devon own the club, then wouldn't the employees know who their dad was? And wouldn't they not serve him alcohol or at least call if they try if he tried? Is that too logical? (laughs) Yeah, I think probably. (laughs) Oh, leaps of faith we must have. Um, I got a really good uh, question, theoretical question from Justin uh, in a voicemail this week. And he asks me, Allie, if you could bring back two characters from YNR past, who would they be? I love this question. And let me tell you, Justin, I thought and thought about it. Um, Justin mentioned that his two picks were Daniel, Phyllis's son, and Drusilla, of course. Um, and I really, I, I love those picks. I think that Daniel would be someone really important and really fun to bring back onto the scene. I don't know why Weiner got rid of him and never pursued it. I can definitely see them pursuing it in the future. And Drusilla, and even Justin had said, it's it's so very unlikely that Drusilla would be brought back onto the show. She has a pending lawsuit with CBS. Uh, I don't even think that they would recast the character of Drusilla at this point. I think it would hurt their case against Victoria Rao to even recast. I think, unfortunately, 
YNR can't even touch the character of Drusilla. I would have been most certainly open to Victoria Rowell coming back into the role at any point in time. I thought she was phenomenal, uh, but uh, unfortunately, even as, as Justin admitted, it's one of those things where we kind of wish we could see her, but uh, but we we know it's probably never going to happen. Uh, now, I really liked this question, and I thought about who my two picks would be because I immediately listed like a dozen characters. <laughs> uh, uh, but I really limited them to two picks. And I, I guess I sort of asked myself, well, what two characters coming back onto the show would make an immediate impact on uh, on YNR? Because uh, there were tons of people I think, oh, it'd be good to see this person for a lark. But I think two characters that I would bring back onto the show that would really add some value to the current landscape uh, would not be Newmans. We've got enough Newmans. Would not be Abbots. We've got enough abbots. The two families that really need an injection of, uh, of of newness and interest and new storytelling are the Williamses and, of course, the Winters. First, my first pick is partly a little bit candy, but I will say I would love to see the return of Ricky Williams. I don't care if it's the same actor that played him or a new actor. I absolutely loved the the, the Ricky Williams that we had. Son of Paul and Isabella. So much potential drama and conflict. Paul being a good character. Isabella being nuts. I think we could develop a character of Ricky in such an enticing way. Maybe even in an Adam sort of way. Give Paul some kind of conflict with his good son and his bad son. I never believed that Ricky was dead. We never saw the body. Therefore, in my mind, he's not dead. So I, I think that would absolutely be one of my picks. And it's from somewhat recent history. So a lot of people might recognize. Uh, my second one, uh, my second pick for the Winters family is sort of in the vein of Drusilla. I want to see Malcolm. If I could bring back anybody probably onto the scene, a single most person, it would probably be Malcolm. And that doesn't mean that it would have to be Shamar Moore. Like Victoria Rowell, I, I really doubt YNR is going to get Shamar Moore to come back and play that role. But we had a recast of him even um, a couple years back. It was, um, I think, Malcolm Joel Warner, who it was, who played him? Somebody played him. Uh, and, and fans didn't seem crazy about it, but I don't know why. We need a, another male in there to break up what is going on between Neil and Devon and Hillary. I mean, frankly, uh, let's let Devon and Hillary be together and maybe focus on some kind of brotherly conflict between Neil and Malcolm. Malcolm could interact with so many and be a bridge to so many other characters on the show. Uh, it's just endless possibilities. I would love for YNR to pursue that. So those are my two picks. I am going to put up uh, at yrchat.com that as a community question this week. It's just so good and so juicy. And thank you, Justin, for suggesting it. You tell me who your two picks are. Now, only choose two. Who are uh, if you could bring back two characters from YNR's past and bring them onto the current show, who would they be? You can go to yrchat.com to leave yours, uh, leave your two picks. Uh, and if I had to narrow them down to two, you got to narrow them down to two. Although one other little thing that I have got to say on this topic, um, what about little Nathan Hastings? 
Wouldn't that add something to the Winters family as well? Uh, son of Olivia and Nathan Hastings. I believe Nathan Sr. died. I could be wrong on that. I'm only pulling it from memory. But uh, little Nate. <laughs> was on the show in uh, the 90s. In fact, I think this character predated Devon's character. So this is someone who could also come into the landscape and present a little bit of competition for Devon. Why? I, I've, I've often thought, why doesn't Winner cast that guy? Maybe he's just somebody that kind of got, you know, fell into the wayside, but he would be someone around Devon's age who you could develop around. Uh, I think that would be genius if Winner would do it. I don't know if they ever would, though. Okay, so those are all of the comments for this week, and I know you guys are just dying for the soap giveaway. So... I'm really excited about it too. I can't believe I've talked this long and gone this long without doing it. But before I do, I think I'm going to wrap up this part of YNR chat uh, so that I can go freehand with my video camera and show you guys the live drawing. Um, so I want to first say that uh, thank you guys for all of the comments. And if you would like to leave some comments for me, you can, of course, go to the website at YR chat.com leave your comments on the blog or find the links for youtube and twitter and facebook or you could call the voicemail number at 309-588-4569 and leave your comments about this week's show uh that way um now for the soap giveaway this is i i just feel like it's funner <laughs> if you guys could see the live drawing uh so i am I'm going to take the camera off of its tripod and I'm going to go freehand and show you the uh, the way I wrote your cute little names on your on these cute little soap bubbles. And it's not going to be very interesting for the podcast people, but I just can't resist because I wrote your names on these cute little uh, pink and purple and cream colored soap bubbles. And I just think it would be fun for you to be able to see your name. I mean, I don't know if everybody, everybody I'm sure won't be able to see it, but there's a chance at least, you know, that you can see your name written and what I did and you can get get a sense of the live drawing so um I am going to put up just the giveaway video at GenoaCitySoap.com. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can go there and watch actually the live drawing and see your names shuffled around. And that's what I'm going to do now for uh, the end of the video. And I'm going to say kind of goodbye for the YNR chat. And I'm going to hop on over to my table and draw the winner for the Soap for Soap fans Valentine. Wednesday giveaway. Yay! Okay, soap fans, who's ready for a Valentine's Day soap for soap fans giveaway? I am, I am. <laughs> so here are all four bars of the new Genoa City soaps. Lauren, Michael, Chelsea, and the infamous Adam. And here are your names written onto my Valentine's themed purple cream and pink soap bubbles. If you entered into the giveaway, I have got your name written here on the soap bubbles along with the bar that you chose to win. So what I am going to do 
is flip them upside down and I will mix them up and I will select a winner. And if you win the drawing, you are going to win the bar of soap that you chose. So let's give these babies a good mixing around. This is way elaborate, but you know I like it that way. <laughs> this makes it nice and fun for me. In fact, I'm going to go freehand here so that I can give these a real good mix. I want to I want to I want to deep mix these. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So, Mm -mm. What color am I feeling? It's like soap bubble roulette. I kind of am feeling these cream color bubbles. So why don't we pick one of those? So the winner of this Genoa City Soap giveaway is... Lauren R., who ironically chose <laughs> the Lauren Bar. How serendipitous is that? <laughs> Congratulations, Lauren. I hope this will be a very happy Valentine's Day surprise for you. Yay. I think you're going to like this one. The Lauren Bar was the first one I cracked into. Um, it's just very kind of sexy and sophisticated, I think. <laughs> and I really enjoyed using it. I think you will enjoy using it too. Congratulations. Now, since it is Valentine's Day, and since I do love you all so much, <laughs> why don't we pick a second winner bonus? Okay, hang on. Let me get these all mixed up again. All right. Well, maybe I'll just go blindly on this one. Let's see. Let me kind of pick... Pick from the bottom of the pile here. Let's go with this one. Okay. The next winner is... <gasps> Catherine! Yay! And she chose the Chelsea Bar. I'm so glad that two different bars got chosen. Yay! Congratulations, Catherine. This this is probably, I just love this blend. This one's really good, too. So these are both kind of, um, I don't know, I think feminine and sort of nice, uh, nice fragrances for ladies. So I'm giving out some lady loves to my soap fan friends for Valentine's Day. Yay! So congratulations, Catherine and Lauren. You guys are awesome, and thank everybody so much for entering. I really do appreciate your interest and your participation. If you're dying to have these soaps, I am going to toss the extras into my little pop-up shop at GenoaCitySoap.com. And, oh my gosh, I have to tell you, I made, I just cut this morning a brand new spring soap that's gonna like blow your mind i'm not even kidding you this is probably my best work yet oh i'm so excited so i have more soap on the way there will be more giveaways and in fact the next thing i'm gonna do is draw the winner for the secret giveaway of body lotion and that's only for newsletter subscribers so while you're at the website 
website at GenoaCitySoap.com, if you sign up for the newsletter, I do secret giveaways <laughs> that are a little more exclusive, a little more private, a little bit of a smaller pool. So um, if you're interested in signing up for the newsletter, you can get that. And I do send out little newsletter just to kind of let you guys know when the new soaps are available and what I'm working on behind the scenes. And there's all that stuff up there on the blog to the YouTube channel. I am posting on Monday the making of the Chelsea Bar and the um, Adam Bar throughout the course of next week. I think I'll post Adam on Monday and Chelsea a little bit later in the week. So if you want to see me making soap, there is that YouTube channel um, and I'll have all the of those links up on the blog. So yay, congratulations again to Catherine and Lauren. I love you guys. Stay tuned. There will definitely be more giveaways and definitely going to be some really cool spring soaps. So I'll see you next time for more Genoa City Soap. <laughs>